All right, welcome to G5 Football Daily, your first episode of the week, diving into some of the stuff that happened last weekend. Going to talk a little bit about what's coming up this weekend, and uh, going to touch on some G5 recruiting, which we haven't done before on the show. But looking forward to getting into that. I am Joe Londrigan, here as always, and uh, with me is the guy you've seen on the show quite a few times at this point. Uh, he writes for 247 Sports and uh, Horns 247 specifically, Eric Henry at Eric C. Henry underscore on social media. Eric, it's so great to talk to you, as it always is. How was your weekend? I know you were in uh, Alabama doing the old uh, Texas Longhorns beat, but I'm sure that was a crazy atmosphere. Joe Londrigan, old buddy, old pal. It is always a pleasure to hop on with you here at G5 Football Daily. Yeah, you asked me how my weekend was. Of course, you talk about my work with Horns 24-7, 24-7 sports. It took me to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The, the biggest game of the P5 week, of course, I, I, I specify P5 because got G5 football as well. But uh, yeah, man, it was a wild atmosphere. I mean, I, Joe, I, I got to say this, you know, um, for those who are just getting familiar with Joe and myself, you know, I covered group of five football for five years for another outlet. And it took me across the American, the Sun Belt Conference USA. I'm trying to think if I got any other uh, leagues there, um, the MAC, Central Michigan. And listen, man, there are some great group of five atmospheres, I think rival anywhere in the nation. With that being said, what I think makes certain, and I want to say certain because you can go to plenty of P5 schools where they have horrible atmospheres. What I think makes certain P5 atmospheres just incredible, Joe, it's the sheer number of people. Um, and being in a venue where there was 100,000, 100,077 was the attendance and Bryant Denny Stadium, and they do a great job keeping them engaged for all four quarters and just, you know, feel like they were living and dying in every play. So, you know, certainly one of the highlights of my career. Of course, again, I've got great group of five experiences covering, you know, UCF and they were a G5. Uh, Florida Atlantic's had some great experience. Marshall, I can run down the list. So definitely not want to – I'm not trying to trump my group of five experiences, but there's just something about, you know, being on national television and 100,000 people that is certainly is a highlight of my career. So – uh, you know, that was interesting. And uh, as I told you, getting back from uh, Alabama back to Austin, Texas is interesting, but I'm happy to be here talking a little G5 football with you, my man. And being a Northwestern alum, too, you can talk about bad uh, bad game day atmospheres in the P5 <laughs> as well. I was not going to poop on uh, old Ryan Field, but listen, uh, yes. Uh, and, and listen, I was there when Northwestern was better than they are now, but yeah, Ryan Field is not exactly, you know, Camp Randall Stadium by any stretch of the imagination. No, but hey, it's it's Chicago adjacent, and for some, that's enough. But getting back to the great atmospheres in the G5, uh, let's start off the show by talking about one of those exact places, and that's the good old Alamo Dome in UTSA. Uh, the Roadrunners beat Texas State uh, by a score of 20-13 to 13 over the weekend, a phenomenal game, uh, and that's two one-score games in a row for UTSA as uh, they get the victory in this one, but uh, dropped a very close game to Houston in week one. But loved what I saw in this game, exactly what I, what I was anticipating from uh, this reunion between G.J. Kenny and uh, Jeff Trailer, who, of course, old uh, old friends from way back in the day when Kenny played for him at Gilmer High School for a season. But some of the things that stood out to me in this game, I think Texas State, ultimately, they're they're going to be fine. I think UTSA was just a better team, and they're a better team than Baylor. Kenny said as much um, in his media availability this week, which was interesting. I tweeted that out. Uh, a lot of people had a lot to say about that, but that was fun. 
Um, and, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, Kavorian Barnes continues to grow in his role in that offense. Uh, he got his first touchdown of the year this week. Did lose a fumble, so got to work on that ball security. That was, uh, was kind of my main takeaway on the offensive side of the ball for the winning team here. Joe, you know what's super interesting? You mentioned Kavorian Barnes needs to work on the ball security. I don't know if you've ever – Joe, how much uh, UTSA have you seen since, you know, he's kind of been, I guess for lack of a better phrase, the, the guy there as far as running back? Yeah, I mean, he was the guy for the majority of last year. Um, I will admit I didn't watch all of UTSA's tape from last year. I watched, obviously, all their tape that first year they were – the conference champions when they ran it back I, I didn't have as much you know time to to dedicate to them specifically but um i like that he is um he's just a thicker back i like that they use him in shorter yarded situations and i'm looking to see if they can maybe expand his skill set a little bit this year that that's kind of my take on him as a player no 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 all all true points all great great points the only reason i'd ask joe is it looked to me obviously you know having covered Conference USA last year, and that's I guess just to see him live at FIU and you know, a couple other games as well. He has a, for lack of a better word, a violent running style, but one that is also, if you see him run, his body at times is kind of almost all over the place as he's finishing runs and trying to keep his balance. And he had a, a, almost a near fumble at FIU where his elbow, the elbow, his right arm, he was carrying the ball in got away from his body. So as soon as you talk about him having a fumble, that's where my mind went because I've seen him almost kind of like that. Yeah, for, I guess I'll use like a Steven Jackson type, you know, someone who is a bigger back can, can kind of, you know, finish runs and break tackles. But with that, you know, as he's doing that, he, he, his body kind of gets away from him a bit. So I guess that's where I thought with the fumble, but that aside, as you talked about great effort, by Texas State, they clearly have things going in the right direction. Of course, uh, our previous guest, one of our previous guests, and our, our guy from the Austin American Statesman, Mr. Kef Chardello, talked about the fact that Texas State's taking football seriously. But for UTSA, Joe, I, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Let's go big picture here. Frank Harris clearly is a bit banged up. You know, that's been talked about coming out of the game. And where do you kind of feel about this UTSA program overall? You know, the, the, the week one loss is one that definitely got away from them. They, they were competitive, a game that they probably could have wanted to clean up some things. And then, you know, a seven-point game against Texas State. What's kind of your thoughts? I mean, obviously, you know, they've reached great heights and great success. Jeff Trail and Lisa Campos. But I guess I'm just wondering, for this season, do we need to maybe dial back expectations a bit? I think just a little bit. You know, I think even a few weeks ago, I think 90% – of the college football watching public had no idea the physical insanity that Frank Harris actually put himself through to be in football shape again this year. Uh, for those that don't know, Mike Craven of uh, Dave Campbell's Texas Football wrote an article about it a few weeks ago. Highly uh, encourage you all to go check that out if, if this is something you're interested in. But Frank Harris almost couldn't walk anymore in, around the spring. Um, didn't suit up until fall camp. And, you know, it's like was in a ton of pain. It's crazy that he is actually in a place now where he can go out and try to compete at a high level. And he's not playing bad, but to your point, he's a little bit slower. He had to come out for a, a little bit in this game. And, you know, we've talked to him a few times. We've obviously gotten, you know, accounts of his competitive nature from Jeff Trailer. He's not going to. Like he's going to go until he literally cannot, 
which, you know, for him long-term for better or worse, but that kind of concerns me about what their ceiling is this year. They still have a lot of playmakers and I think long-term they're, they're going to be fine. I think Jeff trailer is still doing a phenomenal job of bringing in this next generation of, you know, local San Antonio kids to stay home and fill those spots that people like Harris and Rashad wisdom are going to leave. Um, Trey Moore is an example, but, um, yeah, if the, I, but what worries me is if his body really is where it, it sort of looks like it is, which is, you know, on its kind of, I don't want to say last leg, cause that sounds like he's about to die, but he's not like, he's clearly not in the physical shape that he was when he was a, you know, sophomore junior, right? Like he's, he's taken a lot of hits and it's clear. This is probably his last ride as a football player. Frank's taken a lot of hits. And Joe, remember, this is a guy who had multiple ACL injuries to yep. begin his career. So, yeah, I mean, that's the reason why I've raised that question. And in the immediate future of this program, you just hope the best for Frank. You got to be very happy that he's getting some NIL uh, funding there. And he's a hometown guy. You know what I mean? I, this, this run at UTSA probably sets up Frank Harris beyond the NIL money for the next 40 years of his life, just being a local mm-hmm. guy there and, and being in the community, I'm sure he'll, you know, have a job and, 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 you know, make money off of being Frank Harris from San Antonio who stayed home and did great things at UTSA for a long time. But yeah, in the immediate future of this program, you got to take a look because it, it, it see what's going to be there with the quarterback situation it seems to be a little bit in flux with Frank Harris's, uh, you know, injury history. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple guys from this era of UTSA football will never pay for a drink in San Antonio again. I, I'm very confident in that. Him, Oscar Cardenas, um, honestly, if Zakari Franklin came back, probably. Um, Rashad Wisdom, for sure. You know, And then, obviously, from back in the day, Marcus Davenport. So, guys like that. UTSA loves their roadrunners, for sure. Joe, real quick before we move on. Uh, just a quick thought. You know me. I say quick, yeah. and then I, I get uh, elongated, so I'm going to try to be quick here. Do you miss the era of kind of like the hometown homeschool guy in college, right? Someone who you knew wasn't going to be a pro, but that guy would never have to buy a drink in that city again. I'm trying to think of like a notable example. You know what I mean? That either the kid who makes the game winning kick or, or like that three-year starter quarterback, who you know is not being an NFL quarterback, but he, he's going to be a guy there forever. Like that to me, uh, I'm trying to think of an Ohio example, you know, like a, like a Craig, Craig, oh, that's a great one. Um, Craig, Craig Krenzel, Krenzel, right? He, I yeah. believe he was a quarterback who won a national championship for Ohio State, right? Yep. O2. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, still, still has a radio show in Columbus. Yeah. That's my point. Craig Krenzel probably has a radio show. Probably Craig Krenzel Toyota. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just miss that era of guy where everyone just realized, like, yo, um, in today's day and age, it's about making a league. We need some guys who are just like, yo, I just want to be the man after college in this town. Yeah. You know, they're few and far between. And who knows, maybe it's, you know, maybe in the age of social media, that wanderlust that a lot of 18 year olds have has been amplified. I don't have any data to back that up, but I I know exactly what you're saying. And Frank Harris is definitely going to be one of those guys in San Antonio and good for him. He's earned it. Yeah. Oh, and real quick, Trey Moore, I mentioned him three sacks, only a sophomore, hell of an Alamo dome debut for him. Um, All right. Next on the docket. Um, three things from the weekend. I know this is sort of a column that we like to do on the site, uh, in written form, 
uh, time kind of got away from us this week, but wanted to see if there were, uh, you know, I have three things. I don't know if you had three things um, and they were just uh, little quick thoughts on my end, but I don't know if you had any um, insights that you gained from watching this G5 slate this weekend. Well, Joe, why don't you bat lead off and I'll come back with mine. Sure. Well, my first thing is fairly obvious, but with Tulane losing to Old Miss, uh, we have no more ranked G5 teams right now. And that can change, but as of the latest AP poll, the coaches poll, uh, Tulane is out of the top 25, which they could very well be back in in a couple of weeks. Put up a hell of a fight against Old Miss. We're really in it, um, you know, right towards the uh, last couple of minutes there. But, you know, Jackson Dart is who he is. Incredible playmaker, kind of took over right at the very end there. Um, and also, like, we can't discount the fact that Michael Pratt didn't play, right? Like, and Kai Horton almost could have been one of those guys who uh, it could have been, you know, the Cardell Jones of uh, Tulane football could have had just a couple of big moments in his career and uh, just been a campus legend for life. But uh, Kai Horton will always have that Houston game last year and uh, put forth a valiant effort um, in this one. And you could see uh, Michael Pratt being there to console uh, his backup as he came off the field uh, when they didn't win. Um, clearly, they're both very close, and um, that's you know that's cool to see. That's a testament to the color that will, to the culture that Willie Fritz has built. I think. So, Joe, I want to give you uh, mine. Uh, I, I think you'll you'll take interest in these. You ready? Yep. Let's start with a really really interesting situation going on at FIU. Not very many people would have picked them to be two and one to start the year. I, I don't have, maybe you can look it up as I'm talking, what their projected win total was from Vegas. I don't have it on me. I, I don't think it could be any more than three, especially considering all the losses they've had. They beat North Texas, which again, you know, the, the, the mean green, that may have been the game of the G5 slate. I mean, you could say Houston and Rice as well, also double overtime. So that was a uh, pretty eventful, but FIU getting playmakers like, you know, Keyshawn Owens scoring three touchdowns, another great game for Chris Mitchell. Uh, got to feel good for him. And they got this true freshman quarterback, Kiwan Jenkins. We talked about, you know, Grayson James last year's starter. Uh, he was replaced by by Jenkins, kid who was an Auburn commit before the coaching change there. They may have something. That's really interesting. You know, 46-point outburst after only scoring, you know, was it 14 against Maine and, and you know, uh, the scoring issues they had in week one. That's really interesting. Another thing that catches my, my mind, Joe, is – CUSA as a whole, I really think is up for grabs. You look at UTEP. I came on this podcast last week and said that I thought they'd have a chance to upset Northwestern. Well, Dana Dimmel took the brunt of Gavin Hardison's poor place, and that's on him, but he threw another two picks. Just North, excuse me, UTEP really kind of, you know, had a poor performance. New Mexico State, a team they thought was going to be on the rise, they lost as well. So you got some teams that are just, you know, uh, it feels like that entire league is up for grabs. And then the, the third one, I think you got to take a look at in my mind is it's still early. Louisiana Monroe hitting two and oh for the first time in a while. Terry Bowden's club, you know, they've hit the portal. They've took in some taken in some players. I understand beating Lamar. That's an FCS program. That's like the most impressive win in the world. But for Louisiana Monroe, again, a team that, you know, haven't been two and oh in a while. For them to get this kind of start in the year, that to me is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, real quick on ULM, listening to Terry Bowden yesterday when he did his media availability, I think even he surprised 
they're there. Like even he has no idea what to do with his hands right now. Um, so, you know, good for him. And at this point, ULM's been so, <laughs> what's the word, challenged in the victory department for yes. so long. They deserve, uh, they deserve some good times. Uh, we'll, we'll see how they fare when they get into conference play in the Sun Belt here. But on the FIU uh, note, yeah, uh, two and a half wins was the projection for them back in the spring. Uh, they're obviously at two already. Hope you bet the over. Mike McIntyre taking that team in a, you know, new direction there with uh, with the new quarterback. And it seems like it's working out through the last couple of weeks. For me, speaking of Mac, um, taking it to the Mid-American Conference, um, honestly, I think when I looked at this league in the preseason, I think it was a little, I think I thought it was going to be a little more open. But after this weekend, and this is a little bit of an overreaction because we've only played two weeks, but in my opinion... It's Toledo and everybody else. I, Toledo is the only team where I watched them and I was like, man, they look good. Everybody else, I was like, they are fighting for their lives out here against FCS teams. You know, um, I, I think I wrote about them in my uh, three worst things I saw this weekend, actually, because um, that's the kind of headspace I was in on Sunday. But yeah, the, the Mac doesn't look great collectively with the exception of Toledo. Joe, just out of curiosity, I know you, you felt that that league might be a little more competitive. Um, yeah. Who's your biggest disappointment? In my mind, I'm going to give you one. And, and, and I, it's early. It's two weeks in, right? Teams go on runs all the time. I'm a big Thomas Hammock fan at Northern Illinois. And I'm biased, right? I, I, I know some people. Uh, Joe Hawkins is the receivers coach. He was at FIU. You know, I have no couple connections there. But for them, and listen, Southern Illinois, don't get it twisted. FCS powerhouse. That's a big time. Uh, um, Hill, Hill, I'm forgetting his first name at SIU. Uh, damn, I should remember his first name, but he's, he's had done a great job uh, at, at that program, right? But to lose to Southern Illinois at home, especially when you got a quarterback, a veteran quarterback in Rocky Lombardi, that to me was just disappointing. So I don't know if you have one that jumps out to you, but um, that just kind of caught my attention. I also think Northern Illinois are particularly disappointing. Um, for me, I'm going to say the one of the bigger disappointments so far has been actually been Buffalo. I watched them in that game against Wisconsin to open their season, and they hung tough for most of that game. And maybe it means a little less now seeing Wisconsin lose to Washington State over the weekend, but... I, re I really liked the way that Buffalo fought in that Wisconsin game despite losing. And then they came out this weekend and gave up five touchdowns to Fordham. And no disrespect to Fordham, but that's not a team you should be letting hang five touchdowns on you if you want to seriously contend for a, a conference title at the FBS level. Yeah, I mean, Fordham hasn't been a, a, a consistent power since the, the uh, you know, Joe Moorhead, Andrew Briner days. So, yeah, completely right. agree with you. That's a deep poll. Well done. Uh, uh, I mean, it just it just comes with Brian having been at FIU, and I had to do a deep dive into Fordham football. So yeah. <laughs> um, and I think my my only other thing was I'm really intrigued to watch Fresno State this week. Which team are we going to get? Are we going to get the team that went into Purdue and won that game? Um, and won. You know, I know I know it was a late drama, but I feel like they outplayed them for that entire game. Um. Or are we going to get the team that needed two overtimes to beat Eastern Washington in their own stadium? Who knows? But no, that's a real interesting one. I mean, if I had to give you one, 
that I'm really interested in seeing. Uh, well, I'll give you a couple. <laughs> USF, obviously, coming off some struggles, they got the win against uh, FAMU. Am I expecting them to beat Alabama? Hell no. I guess I'm wondering, this will be a true litmus test as, as to how far they have to come, in my opinion. Because the line is 32 and a half. I've seen some people say that, you know, this thing could get as ugly as, you know, 60 or 70 to three. If that's the way you're getting beat against Alabama, in my mind, then, you know, you got you got some room to grow. And that's no shade on on on, you know, USF. But it, it, I'm just cherry, intrigued and curious to see how that one plays out. And then Charlotte, Joe, they got up against Maryland. I want to say something like 24 nothing weren't able to hold. They get a two and oh Georgia State team veteran quarterback and Darren Granger to Jerry Richardson Stadium. How are they going to respond? Biff Pogey, we all know, has talked a lot of talk. Uh, he, he's seemingly Joe. You know, he said that all offensive starters aren't a guarantee uh, to the fact that he's got a bunch of oars in his depth chart this week and the game notes that was published. How are they going to come out and respond? So I'm curious to see those two games. Yeah. On the Georgia State side, too. I mean, I can't tell if they're just going to be one of those teams that likes to make things dramatic, right? Because they looked, they looked bad against uh, Rhode Island, despite winning in that first game of the year for them. And then they came out in this uh, UConn game and, you know, granted there's some other extenuating circumstances for UConn, but they looked significantly better. So who knows? But yeah, that's going to be an interesting game this week. Moving on from that, one thing that was interesting to me this week is uh, just congratulations in general to the Helton family. Um, you look at uh, the Sunbelt slate and Georgia Southern big win for them over UAB talked to uh, Clay Helton a little bit about that win. And then over in conference USA, you had uh, the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers hanging up uh, 50 on Houston Christian, which we all know the interesting kind of circumstances with that game. Uh, of course, Houston uh, Baptist, as they were formerly known, um, you could argue that they really kind of helped shape uh, one Bailey Zappi, who's a member of the New England Patriots now, but uh, broke that NCAA record for passing touchdowns and passing yardage, I believe, in a single season in uh, 2022 or 2021, I should say, 2021. Um, but uh, now those two teams played each other in uh, what I think was uh, colloquially dubbed the, the Zappi Bowl. Um, but Western Kentucky won that game. And at the end in garbage time, we got to see one Turner Helton take over at quarterback when uh, Austin Reed had done his job. But Turner Helton, Eric, five of five through his first collegiate touchdown. Clay Helton was a proud papa. And I think I actually have a soundbite of him talking about that this week. Yeah, just uh, just curious if you had a chance to watch the uh, tape of uh, Turner playing for Western Kentucky, five for five with a touchdown. Yeah, I, your adrenaline's running pretty good after after a ball game like that. So I usually uh, it takes me a while to go to bed. So Saturday night I got to watch my youngest son uh, uh, get to spin the rock a little bit and play at the end of that game. And I was a I was not only a fan, I was a proud dad to watch him uh, throw his first touchdown as a college quarterback and and get that moment go five for five and and complete a touchdown. I, I, I don't know who was more giddy, me or me or my wife, Angela, but we were both proud parents. That was kind of cool to see, just to see uh, that whole family get to get to live their best life this weekend. Joe, I'm a big fan of the father-son connections that can happen in football. 
Love seeing that. I actually had one of those moments at, at the game that I covered. You know, Steve Sarkeesian's son, Brady Sarkeesian, uh, is a uh, linebacker on the Texas team. And he also got a chance to experience that victory with his dad. So, you know, love seeing things like that across the college ball landscape. I had to double check like three times to make sure I was reading it right when I like when we heard that Turner Helton committed to to Western um, a while ago that he was Clay's son and not Tyson's because, you know, they're obviously they're genetically related. They all look very similar. And I thought it was funny that uh, Turner chose to go play for his uncle and not his dad. (laughs) But I don't know. That's how it goes sometimes, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> right. That's actually is a pretty, uh, pretty funny uh, note there. No doubt. All right. And to start winding things down, let's talk a little recruiting. Um, one thing that was interesting, I want to shout out Matt Solario, recruiting analyst for uh, fan nation who helped us out with some coverage on that. end. Uh, we got to talk to uh, one um, 2025 running back out of the Bay area in California, Derek Blanche jr. He's got five offers right now. Those offers are North Texas, Maryland, Houston Christian, Portland State, and Florida Atlantic, which is uh, interesting to me. Um, he has got some time left in high school, so he's got to develop a little bit. He's 5'8", um, but that Maryland offer is interesting. Seems like he really likes the idea of playing there. But also, I think if you look at what FAU and North Texas both are going to lose in the next, you know, upcoming classes here in their offensive backfield could be an interesting piece. So, uh, you know, it, it's inter- it's it's also cool to me that like we're seeing programs like FAU and North Texas have that kind of footprint where they're reaching all the way out to the San Francisco area um for a place like Dallas Hall High School which has produced NFL players in the past I, I believe, but yeah. So, that's uh that's something to keep an eye on as we uh wind down the recruiting cycle for the 2025 kids. Joe, it's always interesting when I see kids who get offered at such an early age because, and again, I don't want to throw, you know, a wet blanket on this, but as you know, Matt Solario noted, you and Matt noted um, the coach who offered Joey Thomas is at UNT now. Right. So, I mean, that offer itself isn't even, uh, you know, this staff, they may or may not, you know, choose to follow through on that offer, but it's just interesting when I see that and then I see, you know, again, the UNT, Maryland, Houston Christian, Portland State. It, it, that's a it's a weird kind of like swath that you get of programs that were offered. And you almost wonder in my sense, I'll be curious to see what may where this kid lands this time next year. Right. When he's, you know, mm-hmm. 2020 in the 2024 year, what those offers look like. But, uh, yeah, definitely an interesting prospect, no doubt. Yeah, the thing about De La Salle, too, is from what I have uh, – I've watched a little bit of film on them. They definitely rotate running backs a lot. So this kid's not not the feature back in that offense, which, you know, th- that's not really uncommon for high school football in general, especially in very high-populated areas. But, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that someone saw something early enough in, in this kid when he was in eighth grade um, – to uh, give him that FAU offer. And as you said, the coach that originally offered him is now part of the staff at Texas. So interesting. Um, But when you talk about high schools that produce high level talent, uh, Wayne high school in Huber Heights, Ohio has uh, produced um, several really, really talented players over the course of the last 20 or so years. 
uh, read you off a couple that you probably remember from back in the day a little bit, Eric. Of course, Marcus Freeman, the current Notre Dame head coach, played linebacker at Ohio State, was uh, an NFL prospect there before he returned to coaching. Uh, one, Braxton Miller, um, who was the quarterback at Ohio State for a while, um, ended up switching to receiver, but uh, was definitely part of those uh, those Urban Meyer teams. Um, and then, of course, Cam Fancher, current Marshall starting quarterback. Um, but the Thundering Herd get another commitment from the Wayne Warriors in uh, an edge guy. Javon Hammonds Jr. goes by JJ. Uh, he committed on his uh, Twitter page to the Herd last week on uh, the 10th, I should say. Uh, Three-star edge. He's 6'5", um, 230 pounds. So definitely a lot to work with there. And clearly, you know, Wayne up in uh, Huber Heights there, shout out 937, doing some big things once again. Yeah, Joe, you know, again, talk about another uh, interesting prospect there. And this one, you know, you take a look at size, 6'5", six, 6'5", six, 230. Joe, when you look at the, take a look at those measurables, you almost think like, man, that's someone who you, you're almost curious what the end of his season's going to look like because, yes, he's a verbal commit to Marshall. Uh, listen, I don't care what you say. If you're 6'5", 230, you know, come out, out, out of a program like that, you, Someone's going to make a late push, Joe. Am I wrong? You, it wouldn't be the first time. Let's uh, let's see what his other offers are here. Actually, um, look at him. We got you, Pitt. We got Ball State, uh, Bowling Green, Central Michigan. So a lot of you know programs in that that region. Uh, obviously, Pitt. Uh, look, we got an Indiana offer, Purdue offer. Uh, so those are his three Power Five offers. So I guess in that sense, you know, he 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 may have had a taste of what that may look like, but I, I'm all, I'm kind of curious, you know, like a kid like that growing up there in that area, I mean, you have to assume Ohio state was the dream school. So that might be a little bit out, out of reach, but maybe if there's another, you know, big 10 school there that, that, that reached down late, I'd be curious to see what that looks like. Could be, could be. It's uh it's interesting that he doesn't have more P5 offers with that kind of size, you know, and my only, you know, conclusion I can come to that is people just don't want to come to Dayton anymore. And like, guys, we have a Sonic. It's fine now. It's it's much better. Come through. Check out uh, check out some of the talent we got going on. <laughs> I haven't lived there in 20 years. I don't know why I'm talking about like I still have. But I, I grew up there. So I have, it holds a special place in my heart. Also, fun fact, I've never been to a Sonic. Is it good? Eh, I mean, honestly, it's it's cool because the like the drink machine is fun. You know what I mean? Like on a hot day, you can go in and get like a slushy with like your different uh, like sodas and they put like uh, like candy in it, like Jolly Ranchers and Pop Rocks and stuff. That's kind of cool. The like hot food, not for me personally. And, you know, obviously people can kind of feel free to disagree with me on that. I've heard that Sonics in the Deep South are better, which could very well be the case. That is what I have heard as well. But again never been uh yeah you, it's not a shock to you not the biggest fast food connoisseur in the world but for our listeners who are new to us yeah there it's kind of a fun fact and a fun thing on twitter where someone will tweet something i'll be like yep never been and just play this game of what have i never been to or never had uh so yeah what was the most recent one that you had because you had one not that long ago that i was like that both makes perfect sense for eric but also it's wild that you haven't had this before I wish I could remember. We, if, if I scroll through Kevin Fielder's tweets, I'm sure I could find it, but I cannot remember offhand right now. I remember one was root beer floats. 
you haven't had a root beer float until like very recently in your life. And I thought that was interesting. And I also remember when we were in Texas together, you hadn't had banana pudding before. And like, before you took a bite, you looked to me and you were like, what's going to happen to me? Like nothing. It's sugar. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That, that, that line was basically what Joe Lonergan's face was like, it's it's sugar. You'll be (laughs) It's fine. And then you look at me and I'm like, I have to go lie down now. Joe, to get for our audience to really understand me, I'm looking on my desk at a Dr. Pepper, which I got. I think I got this Dr. Pepper like the day or a, the second day I moved here, and it's been six weeks. And it's about like three quarters of the way drank, which should show you <laughs> how I consume sugar. There's no carbonation left in that, is there? There was, Joe. It, it, it wasn't completely flat, which was surprising. God bless science. How is that possible? How is that possible, man? Dr. Pepper. Shout out it's, you know, they hired, Caleb Will- they hired Caleb Williams and he made it special. That's what I'm choosing to believe. It's also a Texas product, is it not? I think you're right. I don't know, yeah. but that sounds right. Yeah. So There you go. Um, all right. I think that's it for this episode, uh, but we'll be back with another one on Thursdays. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter at J O E H I O underscore is me at Eric C Henry underscore is Eric. Go follow his work on two, four, seven and horns, two, four, seven. And of course, if you Google G five football daily, you will find our work on fan nation with sports illustrated media group. Uh, so thankful to be able to still do this with y'all uh, subscribe, help us grow this thing. And we'll be back to talk to you very soon. Happy football. Action, everybody.